Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Well, today we are going to talk about one of the most difficult topics in all of life. And that is suffering. Even now, we have people in this room and watching online who are suffering. There are people who are suffering physically, dealing with chronic pain or fighting a disease or dealing with the frustrations of a disability. We have people who are suffering emotionally, crippled by anxiety or under the dark cloud of depression, mourning loss. We have people who are suffering spiritually, where your hardship is the direct result of your faith in Christ. Maybe you're being mistreated or judged or you've lost relationships as a result of your devotion to God. Suffering comes in a variety of forms. And Jesus himself warned us that suffering would come. Shortly before he went to the cross, Jesus said these words to his disciples in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus painfully reminds all of us that that hardship and, and toil and suffering are unavoidable. And sometimes we just stop right there and we don't read the rest of what he says. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus also wants to remind us that through his death and resurrection that we are fighting in a battle, but Jesus has already won the war. Uh, Suffering, though, is a part of this life. And when it comes to your family, there's an extra dimension of suffering. And that's when you watch a family member suffer. Sometimes that could be even harder than you suffering yourself. Parents understand this on a profound level. I've talked to countless moms and dads who, if given the choice, would take the suffering from their children and put it upon themselves. Maybe you have a sibling who's making really bad choices right now and is killing you to watch them suffer. Or you have a parent or a grandparent whose whose body is is withering away due to a disease and there's nothing you could do to stop it. And you carry the heaviness of watching someone suffer. Sometimes when loved ones suffer, it's, it's even harder than when we do, which in itself is a form of suffering. And so my hope today is that we could find some encouragement from the Bible and how we can come up with some, some ways to put Christ at the center of our suffering. And I have no misgivings that we're going to solve every problem in a 30-minute sermon. But if we can just make a little bit of progress in dealing with suffering in our own lives or in helping others suffer, I think that's a big win. So here's the plan. We're going to start with the head and then move to the hands. We're going to start with a philosophical piece and then move to a practical piece because it's really important that you and I have a strong theological foundation in understanding God, good, and evil. Because for centuries, since the, since the dawn of humanity, people have been asking this question. Why does God allow evil? Another way people ask the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Why is there so much suffering? In fact, I bet you may even have a family member who says, I can't believe in God because of all of the bad things in the world, which is a bit of a problematic stance because without God, how do you even know what is good and what is evil? By what moral standard do you define good and evil? Is it your own opinion? Your own preference? Your own feelings? You know, Hitler uh, believed that, that the systematic uh, termination of Jews during the Holocaust was a good thing. Terrorists who blow themselves up in crowded streets filled with innocent civilians believe they are doing a good thing. Without some kind of moral standard, how can any of us say to either of those scenarios that those are bad? In fact, we need to first understand that God is good and then measure against him to understand what evil is. And so we might say, okay, fine, God is the standard of good. That's how we understand the difference between good and bad. I'll give you that. But it still doesn't answer the question, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering? And so before we go any further, let's, let's define some terms. So suffering, by definition, is this. Undergoing pain, distress, disadvantage, or loss. And there's two mega categories when it comes to pain. One, pain brought by me, suffering brought by me, or suffering brought to me. Let's break these down a little bit. Let's start with the first one. Suffering brought by me. This is self-induced. This is something I invite into my own life. For example, um, health problems that are the result of poor eating or drinking or drug abuse, uh, failing out of school because you didn't study, or just following your own heart and, and not practicing self-control in, in areas of, of, of sexuality or, or the way that you spend your money or the way that you spend your time, that could bring suffering upon your life. When those consequences hit, we don't get to blame God. That's on us. But there's also another piece of, of suffering brought by me, and that's when we invite suffering into our lives for unselfish reasons for trying to accomplish a higher purpose. An example of this would be Martin Luther King Jr., who we just talked about earlier in the service. This is someone who willingly invited suffering upon his life in order to stand up to the strongholds of racism and, and stand on biblical principles of, of justice and dignity and selfless love. But in order to do so, he had to take on suffering. So there's suffering that's brought by me, and then there's suffering that's brought to me. These are the things that just hit out of nowhere. Like a person who's healthy, but gets diagnosed with cancer. Or a person who's hit by a drunk driver. Or pain caused by a natural disaster, like an earthquake, a fire, or a flood. And this is really where I think the tension point is. When we look at these things and say, how could a loving God allow this kind of suffering? If God was so loving, why wouldn't he just do away with all the evil in the world? Friends, that is a difficult question emotionally. It is not a difficult question theologically. And if I may, I'd like to answer a hard question by asking an even harder one. Pay very careful attention to this. If God decided 
that he was gonna do away with all of the evil in the world tonight at midnight, would you still be around at 1201? I'm not sure I would. Friends, listen, here's, here's the deal. We want God to prevent the disease. We want God to prevent the drunk driver. We want God to prevent the earthquake. But as soon as he starts infringing upon my desires, that's where I draw the line. Suddenly, I'm not so okay with God getting rid of all the evil in the world. Friends, the fact is that the the God of the Bible is a God who, who makes us a promise that even though there is evil and suffering now does not mean there will be evil and suffering always. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. He says, the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There is coming a time when Jesus is going to do away with all of the evil, all of the suffering, even the end of death. But that's someday. What about now? Because the reality is that I can have the correct philosophical understanding of good and evil, and I can have the right theological position that, that God uh, is, is, is allowing evil now, but he's going to deal with it later. I can get all those. It's one thing to know this. It's a whole other ballgame to be in the fires of suffering. And so my hope is that we can find from God's word some practical ways that we can deal with the suffering in our own lives and also help loved ones and family members deal with the suffering in theirs. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, we're going to spend the majority of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians living in ancient Greece. And these words, though written thousands of years ago, still echo powerfully into our days today because what was true of people who suffered then is still true of people who suffer today. Let's read along together. This is 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. This is a biblical truth that we have to cling to with an ironclad resolve that the God of the Bible is the God of all comfort, not the God of all suffering. God is the author of life, not the author of death. He is not the author of evil. He's not the author of suffering. Those things were not a part of his original design. They came about as a result of sin. You see, when God created us, he created us with free will, which meant we were given the power to choose something other than God. And that's precisely what the first humans did. Adam and Eve chose themselves and as a result invited sin into the world and all of its consequences, including evil and suffering. But understand, that was not on God. That was on people. See, God permits evil, but God never commits evil. And God could very easily stay up in heaven and point his finger at all of us and say, see, I told you so. This is what happens when you don't follow me. Now you're, you're in it all. But instead, 
Instead of shaming us, God comforts us. He leans in with his great compassion and care. He's the God of all comfort. And that leads us to the the first way that we can practically try to put Christ at the center of our suffering. And so if you're taking notes, jot this down. Receive God's help. Don't resist God's help. Friends, listen, God always sends help. And his help comes primarily in two ways. The first is that he helps us himself. Paul described him as the God who comforts us in all our troubles. This picture of a God who directly comforts and cares and interacts with his people is one that is displayed all throughout the Bible in both the Old and New Testament alike. Let me share with you one example from the Old Testament. This is Psalm 121, and it says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This psalm is known as a song of ascent. See, the people of Israel, they used to ascend up to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is perched up on top of a mountain, and so any direction you came, when you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up to Jerusalem. And so they used to sing this song when they were on their, their pilgrimages and their, their annual festivities. And I want you to just imagine our forefathers and their families climbing up the mountain across the treacherous terrain with their families, and they're saying, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. They're walking up, they're looking up, and they're asking the question, where does my help come from? It comes from God himself. He's not distant, he's not indirect, he is directly involved in our lives. In the New Testament, Jesus also talks about a kind of help. He was teaching his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And listen carefully to the words Jesus uses to describe this Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 7. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do we see a theme here? And then my personal favorite, John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him by faith, then you have in you the Holy Spirit, the helper to guide you, to sustain you, to give you peace, to give you comfort. But here's the catch. We can actually resist him. Believe it or not, you and I, we have the power to resist any help God brings our way. Paul warned believers about grieving the Holy Spirit. He warned us about quenching the Holy Spirit. Another young believer named Stephen warned against resisting the Holy Spirit. We can resist God's help. What does that look like? It typically comes in the form of us looking for a sinful, short-term relief from the suffering. Unlike the children of Israel marching up to Jerusalem, answering the question, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Many of us ask the question, where does my help come from? My help comes from the bottle. 
My help comes from a rebound. My help comes from pornography or eating or spending or distractions, social media. Where does my help come from? Any place that I could just get relief from the suffering. I have a friend who who really struggles with anxiety, so he chooses to smoke pot. He said, this is the only thing that helps calm me down. The problem is that there's a growing body of research that's, that's now revealing that smoking marijuana increases anxiety. So my friend has sinfully turned to a cure that's worse than the problem. And so many of us are doing the same thing. What does it look like to receive God's help? It means to, 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 to cry out to Jesus. To say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. I need your, your help. Tell him, I, I receive your help. Give me the strength to say no to the temptations of sinful, short-term relief. See, God's help is always on the way. And he helps us directly, but there's another way he helps us. He sends people. Let's keep reading Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He said, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. One of the reasons why God allows people to suffer is so that they can help others in similar situations. God has a whole army of helpers that he's ready to deploy. They're a part of an exclusive club known as the Fellowship of Suffering. And what makes them so effective is that they have been through the fires themselves. And God sees a world crying out for help and he unleashes such people on a suffering world. One of the reasons why he allows you and I to go through these things is to be a help to others. One of the most difficult seasons in my life came a number of years ago when I lost my sister to cancer and then five months later, my wife lost her mother to cancer. We were living in Colorado at the time. We had a newborn baby and so life was already a bit chaotic. And then I got the call that my sister took a turn for the worse. So I hop on a plane, I fly to New Jersey by myself and there I spend many long days and long nights in the hospital as my sister was slowly dying and, and withering away to cancer. And then eventually she passed and then my wife took the kids and then she flew out to New Jersey by herself and then there was grieving and, and mourning and the funeral and then we hopped on a plane to North Carolina because we weren't sure if Kate's mom was gonna make it and what we thought was gonna be just weeks stretched into months. So I had to fly back to Colorado with the kids and somehow try to live life again I mean, I'm trying to be there for my kids. I'm trying to get back into the flow at work while I'm still grieving myself, while I'm still separated from my wife who's caring for her mom at her bedside. And then her mom passes away and then flies back out to North Carolina, all of the strain, then back into the morning, the funeral. It was so difficult. It was so challenging. But when I look back on that time, I'm blown away by all the people God sent my way. There was people who gifted me air miles, people who gifted us hotels. We had friends fly across the country just to minister to us. I had one friend who drove 10 hours through the night just to be there for the funeral. And instinctively, I don't wanna receive any of that help. I wanna resist all of it. You know what that's called? 
pride. Many of us men, we want to just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and do this on our own. So many women want to prove, I don't need anybody, I'm independent. A lot of us, we just say, you know what, I I just don't want to be a burden to anyone. But listen to what Paul said in Galatians 6. Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, if you've been through the fires of suffering, you've been awesomely and uniquely equipped to help carry somebody else. I've been through that crucible too. And I could tell you, it is a sacred privilege. What a waste it would be for me to suffer and never be able to use it to help anybody else. Friends, suffering is going to come, but God also sends his help. Let's make sure we receive God's help and that we don't resist it. That's the first way to put Christ at the center of suffering. Here's the second one. Make sure your help is helpful. You see, when someone is suffering, instinctively, we want to help. Unfortunately, at times, we're more hurtful than we are helpful. Let's go back to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, Paul was no stranger to suffering. He used to be the instrument of suffering. He persecuted Christians badly until he gave his life to Jesus and then quickly became on the receiving end of that persecution. And in this case, Paul told us something happened in the province of Asia. We don't know for certain what that was, but there's one of five possibilities. He talked about fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. He was whipped 39 times by a Jewish court. He was in the middle of a riot. He faced severe persecution and also ongoing physical pain. It could have been one of those five. It could have been a combination. It could have been all of them. How in the world do you comfort someone and help someone who's under this level of suffering? Well, Paul actually laid it out and made it really clear. Verse 10, he said, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on your behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul said, look, if you want to be helpful, pray. He didn't say, hey, I need everybody right now. Let's get to the province of Asia. Let's rally together. And then you step into the same persecution I'm facing. That would have been a disaster. He said, no, here's how to help. You pray. When you and I are are watching someone else suffer, we want to step in and and we want to do something. And so often we always think, I got to say something. I need to offer some perspective. Unfortunately, the things that come out of our mouths can be incredibly hurtful. That's why we have to be so measured and so careful that our help is actually helpful. You know, I have heard well-intentioned followers of Jesus say really reckless things. Like a mom who, whose child tragically died and a person said, well, I guess God must have needed another angel. What? That, that's not even theologically accurate. People don't turn into angels. 
On top of that, it paints God out to be cruel. Oh, well, I need another angel, so we're going to take your child. Or sometimes we say these cliche things like, let go and let God. And a person who's suffering, what if they are? What if they have let go? What if they, they have surrendered? Don't assume they haven't. And so often we want to say something. And so if, if we are, I want to give you some things to avoid and some things to say. Avoid anything that starts with the words, at least. Your family member died, at least they were saved. You got stage three cancer, at least it's not stage four cancer. Anything that starts with the words, at least, is not helpful. It's actually really demeaning. Another thing that we ought to avoid is negative comparisons. Oh, you broke up with your girlfriend? I'm sure that was really hard. I've been through a divorce. It's way worse. Okay, so I guess my problem isn't a big problem. Or, you know, I, I know that you're really struggling through mourning the loss of your loved one. I know exactly how you feel. I remember when my pet goldfish died, and I'll never forget the look on Mr. Bubble's face as he circled around the toilet when I flushed him down. You know, not helpful. You know, instead, if, if you're going to say something, keep it simple. Just say things like, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to help? Or you can encourage them with some scripture that you've memorized from, from over the years, something that you're prepared with. One of my favorites is Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Friends, we have to be extra careful that we're being helpful. Paul himself said, look, you want to be helpful? Make sure that you pray. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools you have in your toolbox if you are a follower of Jesus. And so I want to challenge you that if you have a family member who is suffering, do not say to them, I'll pray for you. Instead, pray for them right then and there. Pray that God would be their strength that he would be their comfort and that he would be able to take their story and use it to help someone else someday along. Make sure that your help is helpful. That's one of the, one of the ways to put Christ at the center of suffering. Number one, receive God's help. Don't resist God's help. Number two, make sure your help is helpful. Here's one more. Don't be the savior, be the sender. See, when someone we love is going through a hard time, we wanna swoop in and be the savior. Friends, someone else already bears that title. His name is Jesus, and he could do it a whole lot better than any of us. Our job is not to be the savior, but to be the sender, to point people to Jesus. Let's go back to Paul's words when he was talking about this hardship he faced in the province of Asia in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Whatever Paul went through, it was so extreme that he described it as far beyond our ability to endure. You know, sometimes when someone is struggling, people misquote the Bible and say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. That's not biblical. I think we're getting it confused with Paul's teaching about temptation. And he said, God will not allow temptation to be more than you can handle. But he will also give you way more than you can handle. He does that frequently. That's called suffering. 
That's what Paul was going through. It was more than he could handle. You know, and for, for us, when, when we see someone who is struggling, we want to swoop in and save the day. We want to be the savior. There's a, a term that's being used for, for modern day parenting for moms and dads who always love to save the day, and that term is bulldozer parenting. And the idea is that when a parent sees a, a potential hardship coming in the way of their child, they very quickly get out in front of it and bulldoze it out of the way so that their child doesn't have to go through anything difficult. And it's very easy to criticize people who practice this, but I gotta tell you, as a parent, I'm tempted to do that all the time. I mean, who wants to watch their kids suffer? Ever walked with a teenager through rejection? Ever walked with a family member who, who lost a job? or who got an unfavorable diagnosis from a doctor? You wanna get on the phone and call your kids friends and try to sort the problem out yourself? You wanna show up at your spouse's workplace and scream at the boss? You wanna to, to go over to the doctor's office and put everybody in line? Friends, when you step into that role, you unintentionally teach your loved ones, I'm the one you come to whenever there's a problem. And guess what? That is a burden you will never be able to bear effectively. Our job isn't to be the savior. Our job is to be the sender. We've got to send people to the true savior, to Jesus. Listen to Paul's words when he talked about this hardship. He said in verse nine, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul left no room for doubt who the Savior was. That's the kind of Savior we have to send people to. Because when we step in, we could actually stunt someone's spiritual growth. You see, earlier in this passage, when talking about suffering, Paul said this in verse six, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. One of the reasons why God allows us to go through suffering is to build up within us a stamina to take a stand. Now, this is something that runners probably understand a little better than the rest of us who don't run. You know, my wife is an endurance athlete. In fact, just a couple hours ago, she finished running in the Surf City Marathon in Huntington Beach this morning. Now, no one is expected to show up at a marathon and be able to compete unless you've first undergone training. And I've seen these training. The way that it works is that you start off with just running a little bit, and then that increases a little more and then it increases a little more. And then there's rest. And then there's more running. And then there's even more running. And what happens over time is you begin to develop both a physical and a mental endurance to the point where you can realize that you're capable of going further than you thought. And God does the same thing with our suffering. He brings us through a little challenge. We experience victory on the other side of that. And then he gives us a bigger challenge and then a bigger challenge, and then rest, and then a greater challenge, and then a greater challenge. And what this does is it produces in us a mental and physical endurance. And the more life you live, the more endurance you're gonna need. 
And when you and I step in to save the day from our loved ones who could potentially be going through suffering themselves, we actually short circuit their lessons on endurance. And then when hardship comes down the road, they won't have the stamina to stand up. They'll be overwhelmed by it because they never learned because we were the ones who were always clearing the way. We cannot take the job of savior. Turns out we're not even really that good at it. Instead, we have to point people to the true savior. Let's send them to Jesus. Parents, we have to teach our kids how to endure suffering, how to have hard conversations, how to work through conflict, how to do the honorable thing even when you are being treated unfairly. Maybe you're the only believer in your whole home. You've got to be the example to everyone else to take the, the words of Paul that right here I stake my claim that on him I have set my hope that he will continue to deliver me. And maybe you're listening to this this morning and you've never trusted in the true Savior. Maybe you've been saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this all on my own. I'm going to just fight hard. I'm going to overcome. How's that working out for you? Friends, you don't have to do this alone. Jesus wants to do it with you. He wants to send you his help. He wants to be your personal savior, have a personal relationship with you. He's not indirect. He wants to be involved in every part of your life. But what he asks in return is faith that you surrender your life to him in faith. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? If not, I wanna help you do that today. In fact, I wanna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I wanna give you a prayer that you could pray. These are, these are just hollow words, unless you believe them by faith. But if you want to begin a personal relationship with Jesus today, then I want to encourage you to pray these words in the silence of your heart. Just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Surrender your heart to him now. Tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. I can't do this on my own. I cry out to you, Jesus. I receive you by faith. I believe you died in my place. And I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Please change my heart so I could leave my old life behind and walk in new life with you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer today and we wanna let you, we wanna encourage you to let somebody know about it and we made an easy way for you to do that on the program that you received when you came in is a little perforated card and it has a, it just tears off real easily and at the bottom is a box that says, I said yes to Jesus. Just fill that out, check that box and our usher is gonna come take today's offering. You just drop this card right in there. One of our staff people get a hold of that, reach out to you and, and help you to, to, to grow in this awesome new decision that you made. Maybe you've already said yes to Jesus, but you're just not going anywhere with it. You're just kind of stuck. You want to take your next step. Here's how. Grab your phone and text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will customize a, a plan with you of next steps. They'll exchange a few messages with you. 
and maybe you want to join a small group or get involved or you just need somebody to talk with, text NEXT to 909-281-7797. We also have a next step table in our lobby if you wanna have a face-to-face conversation with somebody before you leave today. Next week, we're gonna wrap up this series on family by addressing possibly the one issue that's causing the most drama in your home, money. And so think about who you could invite with you to be encouraged from God's word. Until then, we have to know that suffering is gonna come but God doesn't waste anything. See, Satan loves to use suffering as a tool to get us to turn on God, but God can redeem even that. See, think about a knife. A knife stabs, a knife causes harm, and that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to stab you with suffering, but God redeems that because a knife that stabs can also be a knife that shapes. And like a tool in the hand of a woodcarver, God wants to take that same thing Satan's using and shape you into someone who can make a difference into somebody else's life. So let's receive God's help. Let's not resist it. Let's make sure our help is helpful. And let's not try to be the savior. Let's be the sender. Let's point people to the only one who can truly help them, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for not leaving us on our own. Thank you for not leaving us drowning in the waters of the difficult things of this world. But you have sent help. You sent your own son to suffer and die on our behalf, the ultimate solution to evil and suffering, the innocent dying for the guilty. So, Father, thank you for being a God who is with us. And I pray for anyone today who's in the fires of suffering that they might be able to walk just a little straighter today. They may be able to stand a little taller today, knowing that there is a helper in you, a God who comforts us in all our troubles. Will you use us to comfort others? And as we prepare to give these tithes and offerings, I ask that you bless and multiply these gifts so that we can help people in our city, people in our state, in our country, in our world. We need you and we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then let me hear you say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I wanna encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.